0: Our topic tonight is your diet and your destiny. The eyes of Americans were glued to their television screens on August 11, 2011. Sanjay Gupta, the medical director and correspondent for CNN, was interviewing former President Bill Clinton, on President Clinton's change of lifestyle after his coronary bypass surgery. The title of the program was called The Last Heart Attack. And as Sanjay Gupta interviewed Bill Clinton, he asked Mr. Clinton if he were a vegan vegetarian. And Clinton responded, I like the stuff I eat, the vegetables, fruits, beans, the stuff I eat now. Do you call yourself a vegan? Gupta asked. I suppose I am if I don't eat any dairy, meat, or fish. Now, I should explain that many people who are leaving a heavy meat diet become what we would call general vegetarians. They eat a plant-based diet, but they still eat milk, eggs, and cheese. There are those people who are a smaller percentage of the general vegetarian group who are vegan vegetarians that eat only plant-based products. When my wife and I are helping people onto a better diet, in fact, if they've been eating a heavy meat-based diet, we encourage that a couple days a week they start and ease into a vegetarian diet. We don't suggest that they go home and throw all the meat out of their freezers and uh, make a radical change. People who tend to make a radical change, that tend to go back to their previous lifestyle very quickly. But when you look at the advantages of a plant-based diet, a total vegetarian diet, for most people they are overwhelmingly positive. And Bill Clinton lost weight on this particular diet and he reduced his heart attack risk quite dramatically. Vegetarian Times Magazine recently quoted a survey pointing out that over 7 million Americans are vegetarians. But what caught my attention from this national survey done by the Harris Poll was that 22 million Americans, or almost 10% of the adult population, were leaning toward or preferred or mostly a vegetarian diet. So the pendulum is swinging in our society with heart disease, that is the number one killer in America today, and with cancer on the rise and diabetes and many of the lifestyle changes. Scores of Americans recognize that they need a change in their lifestyle if they're going to live longer, healthier lives, and they particularly need a change in their diet. If you have be- become interested in becoming a vegetarian, eating a plant-based diet, you're not alone. The Greek philosophers Plato and Socrates were vegetarians. The scientists Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein were vegetarians. The inventors Thomas Edison and Henry Ford were vegetarians. Painters, Leonardo da Vinci and Vincent van Gogh were vegetarians. Writers, Mark Twain and Ben Franklin were vegetarians. Humanitarians, Cara Barton and Rosa Parks, vegetarians. Today, entertainers, Jerry Seinfeld, Carrie Underwood, vegetarians. It was an interesting article by Rich Calgard, the publisher of Forbes magazine. And he pointed out how as he moved toward a plant-based diet, he had lost weight, He had gained more energy, felt better than ever before. There are a number of athletes that are moving toward a vegetarian diet, some of them becoming plant-based vegetarians. Hannah Teeter is Olympic gold medalist in snowboarding. She became a vegetarian, noticed her performance increase, and she pointed out that she felt physically, mentally, and emotionally far better on her plant-based diet. We were created in a garden, and the closer we return to garden living, the healthier we're going to become. We were created and made and fashioned by a loving God, and in that Garden of Eden, God gave us fresh air, pure water, magnificent sunshine to be bathed in. He clothed us in light. God gave us there fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables as a diet gave to the human race useful work so they could work and be filled with activity and physical exercise in that garden. In that garden, he created positive relationships between Adam and Eve and, of course, trust in him. These are the principles of creation health. Creation health is not a narrow-minded approach urging people on a particular diet. It's rather a broad approach that helps people make positive choices so their lifestyle can be dramatically better. Speaking about nutrition in that garden, Genesis 1 verse 29, God said, see, I've given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth. In every tree whose fruit yields seed, to you it shall be for food. I love the way that passage starts. What's the first word in the passage, everybody? What is it? See. It's as if God is saying, see. See the fruits that are hanging on those trees. See the abundance that I've given you. See. Look in the fields and see the waving grain. See all this marvelous abundance of nature. This bountiful harvest of nature is all yours. And it's as if God said to you and to me tonight, see, look around you at the grapes, at the apples, at the bananas. Look around you at the carrots, at the, at the potatoes. Look around you at the broccoli. Look around you, see the grains and the nuts and the vegetables. See the diet that I've given it. Eden. It's a diet that will sustain your life. It's a diet that will strengthen your body. It's a diet that will nourish your intellect. It's a diet that will help you to be physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, let's read it together, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning." So the good gifts or the bounties of nature were given to us by God to fuel these bodies of ours so that we could live a better quality life and a better quantity of life. These bountiful gifts are gifts from a loving Creator who cares for us and wants us to be in good health. It's fascinating that human blood cells have a lifespan of approximately three months and they're nourished and regenerated after that three month period. And those blood cells are largely nourished and regenerated based on the food we eat. So as you move into or move toward a more vegetarian diet, a more plant based diet, you will be actually providing nutrients to the regeneration Of those blood cells. More and more scientific evidence indicates and more and more evidence-based research indicates that this plant-based diet helps to reduce the risk, not totally eliminate, but reduce the risk of the great 21st century killers. People who eat only plant-based foods have reduced rates of heart disease, cancer, and strokes. They live as much as 11 years longer than those who eat highly, the highly refined typical American diet that's high in dairy fats and, of course, animal products. Vegetarians and heart disease, let's look at that relationship. Heart disease remains the leading cause of death in the United States for men and women today. Dr. Caldwell Esselton, Jr., formerly of the Cleveland Clinic, believes that heart disease can be prevented, even reversed and largely eradicated. He argues that we must not focus just on the symptoms but also on the cause. Dr. Esselton and his wife have begun working with people that either have had bypass surgery or people that have experienced a serious heart attack or at risk for that. They put them on a plant-based diet. Dr. Esselton is convinced that we can reverse heart disease in America today both by diet exercise, and a a change in lifestyle. Researchers from Loma Linda University found that vegetarians are at a lower risk of developing long-term health complications, including heart disease, diabetes, and stroke, compared to non-vegetarians. The evidence is in. The vegetarian diet and lifestyle makes a dramatic difference. A survey of 47,000 Italians found that persons in the highest level of vegetable consumption had a reduced risk of heart attack and angina when compared to those in the lowest level of vegetable consumption. Some have called this the Mediterranean diet. And if you look at the southern portion of Europe, the Italians, and you look down at that southern coastal area, the Spaniards, the Portuguese, the heart attack rates are dramatically different than Northern Europe. If you look at Norway, Finland, Denmark, the heart attack rates are significantly higher when you compare the diets. The lower portion of Europe, the Southern European area, much more fruits and vegetables. Of course, the Northern climate, much more cheese, milk, eggs, and far more uh, animal products, and a lot more meat is consumed there. If you look at a British study, it found that daily consumption of fresh fruit was associated with a 24% reduction in mortality from heart disease, a 32% reduction in death from some types of vascular disease. Daily consumption of raw salad, now this was really fascinating to me, was associated with a 26% reduction in mortality from heart disease. So the next time you go through that salad bar and you load up, with that fresh spring salad and spinach and you put that, those grated carrots on it and drop a little broccoli in there and a little bit of cauliflower and some cucumbers and you top it off with those five tomato chunks as you're eating this, remember the British study and smile and look over at your wife or your hubby and say, I'm reducing my rate of heart disease by 26% by eating this raw salad. (laughs) And as you do that, positive chemical endorphins will be released from the brain to go through the entire system and you will even reduce your rate of heart attack more because of that positive attitude. In another study, those who ate a total plant diet had a 57% lower incidence of coronary heart disease compared to meat eaters. Now, This is fascinating. Those who consumed a vegetarian diet that was rich in green, leafy vegetables and other low-calorie vegetables experienced after only two weeks marked improvements in lowering their LDL, or bad cholesterol, and increasing their HDL, their good cholesterol. The way you remember that is the LDL, the L is the lousy cholesterol. So you want that lousy stuff, the LDL, you want that low, the HDL, high-density protein, that's the... the, um, The the, the good cholesterol, you want want your ratios uh, between those two. You want the LDL lower and the HDL higher. Look, after only two weeks, there was a dramatic change. That encourages us, doesn't it, to move toward a plant-based diet. You know, maybe you've been thinking, I've been eating a certain way all my life. But as you move in a positive direction, making small changes in your life, taking incremental steps, it will make a powerful change in a very short amount of time. The Adventist Health Study included 26,473 people over a 12-year period, and it found that people who ate nuts, if they're a little nutty, they ate nuts five or more times per week, they cut their... Risk of having heart attacks by 51% and had a 48% reduction in death from heart attacks as compared to those who ate nuts less than once a week. Now, walnuts, eating your nuts. Now, not salted nuts so much. You know, not those oil-saturated nuts. But if you eat nuts in their natural state, you eat almonds and walnuts and pecans, it will make a dramatic difference. Health benefits of nuts, what are they? They're low in saturated fat. They contain vitamins and minerals, potassium, magnesium, vitamin E, folic acid, copper, and dietary fiber. So eating nuts uh, will significantly help you in reducing heart disease. Regular consumption of whole wheat bread was associated with a 40 to 50 percent reduced risk of fatal heart attack and non-fatal heart disease. Whole grains play a major, vital difference in our health. A number of studies have shown that legumes lower blood cholesterol levels, improve blood sugar control, lower triglyceride levels. And since beans are good sources of soluble fiber, vegetable protein, and polyunsaturated fat, consuming a diet rich in legumes will lower the risk of heart disease. So by uh, eating adequate amounts of beans, it helps to reduce the risk of heart attack. Move toward that plant-based diet. The reddish pigments found in fruits such as strawberries, cherries, cranberries, raspberries, blueberries, grapes, and black currants are extremely effective in protecting against heart disease by inhibiting LDL cholesterol, that's the bad cholesterol, build up in contributing to healthy blood flow. So these wonderful fruits that my wife's been demonstrating here every night will make a dramatic difference. High in antioxidants and... uh, The evidence is that a plant-based diet protects against coronary heart disease. What about a plant-based diet and uh, cancer? Is there any relationship to that? You know, vegetables, fruits, and other plant foods are rich sources of antioxidant nutrients like vitamin C and E, beta-carotene, and other carotenoids, and they contain thousands of phytochemicals. These antioxidants and phytochemicals are protective for us. A major report published by the World Cancer Research Fund in 1997 recommended that we can lower our risk of cancer by choosing predominantly plant-based diets rich in a variety of vegetables and fruits and legumes. About three dozen plant foods have been identified as possessing cancer-protective properties. Now let me be very plain. You can eat the best possible diet, follow all of the creation health principles. But you will not avoid disease altogether. Someday, sometime, you will be affected by the world that we live in. Because the world we live in is a world filled with sickness, suffering, disease, and death. We can live a better quality of life by following these principles. We can live a longer life by following these principles. But the truth of the matter is that unless there is divine intervention and Jesus Christ returns to this world, someday we're going to die. The reality of life is that you can postpone death, but you can't put it off all the time. You know, when we talk about a vegetarian diet, some people say, man, that vegetarian diet is so narrow, it's so restricting. Did you know that the food Network put on a special contest recently, and it was a cupcake contest for the most delicious cupcake in America. $10,000 to make the most delicious cupcake, and a vegan vegetarian cupcake won. (laughs) You know, it's quite amazing. Quite honestly, the lady who won, Chloe, said, quite honestly, I think most people were shocked that the judges would choose a vegan cupcake over a traditional one. Weren't those desserts tonight? Didn't they look good? Yeah. I want to talk to you tonight a little bit about a diet for spiritual health. You know, I've alluded to the fact that we, death is inevitable for all of us. And that if we are concerned about our exercise, concerned about positive relationships here in this life, which we should be, concerned about nutrition as we ought to be, But we're not concerned about our spiritual health. We can limit the inevitable, but we can't put it off forever. And so just as there is a nutritious diet for physical health, Jesus made this fascinating statement. Let's read it together, Matthew 4 verse 4. What did Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Word of God provides a spiritual diet to nourish your soul, transform your life, and prepare you for eternity. As you look today at the world's bestseller, the Bible is still the world's bestseller with 83 million copies sold a year. Did you know that Americans spend $2.4 billion on, they spent that much on Bibles in 2006? Although the Bible is the bestseller in the world, It is, many people feel, one of the least read books. Ninety-three percent of all households in the United States own one or more Bibles, but only 12 percent of the people read the Bible every day, and 57 percent don't read the Bible at all during a typical week. May I suggest to you tonight that if you want to build spiritual muscle, if you want to build spiritual character, If you want to build a life that will endure for all eternity, as you read God's Word, it will strengthen you emotionally. It will strengthen you mentally. It will provide for you a spiritual basis for your entire life. The Dear Abbey column featured a letter from a teenage boy. It was very interesting. Dear Abbey. A young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. It was the custom in that affluent neighborhood for parents to give the graduate an automobile. Bill and his father had spent months looking at cars, and the week before graduation, they found the perfect one. Night came for the graduation. On the eve of his graduation, Bill's father handed him a gift-wrapped Bible. Bill was angry. He threw the Bible down and stormed out of the house, tragically. He and his father never saw each other again. It was only the news of his father's death that brought Bill home. When that boy received that Bible for graduation, he was so angry because in that wealthy neighborhood, every other one of his friends was getting the latest new sports model car. And Bill was so angry when his father gave him that Bible, he just threw it down and walked out of the house. The father entered into discouragement, depression, and the father died a broken Sad man. After the father's death, Bill came home, and the story goes on. And as Bill sat one night going through his father's possessions, that's after his father's death, he came across the Bible that his father had given him. He blew off the dust and opened it to find a cashier's check dated the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car that they had chosen together. There was something in that Bible that Bill had no idea was there. There was a treasure there that he had no clue was there. Could it be that that Bible that's gathering dust on your shelf, that there's something there, that there's a treasure there, that there's hope there, that there's courage there, that there's forgiveness there, that there's mercy there, that there's grace there, that there's power there, Could it be that as you take that Bible and dust it off and begin to read it again that you'll find new joy and new meaning and new purpose and new hope in life? Now, there are three things about God's Word that I want you to notice tonight. First, God's Word is eternal it bridges every generation and culture. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, reading together. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Notice Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands what? Forever. There are many things in this life that are here today and gone tomorrow. There are many things in this life that are temporary. You buy a new car today, and 15 years later, it is the old model that hopefully is still chugging along. You buy a tie today, and 10 years later, it's out of date, but save it because maybe 10 years after that, it's going to come in, and you can give it to your kid for Christmas. (laughs) You know, I remember, for example, the first computer, you know, computers, you buy one today, and you got to update it tomorrow. Everything around us ages so quickly. I think I need an upgrade. The first computer that I ever had, it took two men to carry it into my study. You know, you buy an iPhone today and Apple comes out with a new one in a few months and you want to trade that one in because this one has something else. When you look around us in our society, our society is changing, 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 changing. Change is in the air. And you say to yourself, what can I place my feet upon that's solid? What are enduring moral values that will last forever? What's something that's not going to change today and be gone tomorrow? You know, you look at technology and it changes. You go to sleep watching your TV and they come out with a new TV tomorrow. In a world of rapid change and uncertainty, God's Word is eternal. God's Word speaks to every generation. It speaks with meaning and relevance and purpose. It speaks courage and hope to our hearts. Dr. Bernard Ram put it this way. He's a professor of philosophy and religion. He says a thousand times over, The death knell of the Bible has been sounded, the funeral procession has formed, the inscription cut on the tombstone, and the committal read, but somehow the corpse, that is the Bible, the corpse never stays put. No other book has been so chopped, so knifed, so sifted, so scrutinized and vilified. What book on philosophy or religion or psychology of classical or modern times has been subject to such a mass attack as the Bible? But yet, the Bible has survived with such venom and skepticism, with such thoroughness and erudition upon every chapter, line, and tenet. The Bible is still loved by millions, read by millions, and studied by millions. Isn't it evidence that the Bible is divinely inspired by God in the fact that after 2,000 years after the death of Christ, it has existed and it continues to be a bestseller. When you look at cultures and civilizations around the world, the Bible speaks to those generations of people. George Washington put it this way, it's impossible to rightly govern the world without God in the Bible. He is worse than an infidel who does not read and acknowledge his obligation to God. George Washington read, studied God's Word. Thomas Jefferson said, I've always said and always will say that the studious pursual of the sacred volume will make better citizens, better farmers, better husbands. The Bible makes the best people in the world. As you read God's Word with an open heart and open mind, as you read it prayerfully, as you say, God, as I read your Word, I want you to touch my life. God, as as I read your Word, I want you to come into my life. I want you to make me the Father that I ought to be. I want you to make me the husband I ought to be. I want you to make me the wife that I ought to be, the mother that I ought to be. I've had the privilege for the last 45 years of traveling the world, standing on the platforms of the great, great countries of the world. And I remember shortly after the fall of communism, I was invited to come to Russia. I had been speaking in Russia, Pahana University uh, had been speaking there. And then uh, I was invited to come to the Kremlin. The Kremlin is the citadel of communism, it was. The, the Kremlin auditorium seats 6,500 people. Twice a night, communist intellectuals and philosophers and average people from Russia, lawyers and doctors and nurses and, uh, and uh, people who were scientists and engineers and shopkeepers came to that auditorium. There were 13,000 people coming every night to our meetings. They had come from an atheistic background. In the Kremlin auditorium was the place where Chinenkov spoke and Khrushchev spoke and Putin spoke and the place where all the communist leaders had spoken. I went into that auditorium and gave 13 lectures and I talked about if society and if the Russian society were going to move in a new direction that it needed to be based on moral values and those moral values were found in the Bible. One night after the lectures, I was sitting in a little room eating some Russian borscht. And a large man walked into the room. He must have been 6'3", 6'4". He weighed probably 220 or 230. He had muscles like spring steel. And he reached out and he said, Tonight, tonight, you spoke to Russian society. Let me give you a Russian bear hug. And he, he grabbed me and I felt crack, crack, crack. And I said, if you appreciated the lecture, please don't squeeze me so hard. He then dropped me on the you know he dropped me on my feet and he looked me right in the eye and he said I am the Russian general that led the Russian invasion of Afghanistan in the 70s I led the Russian armies and he says as I thought about what you said tonight I want to say this to you if Russia has any future it must base its future on the moral principles of the Bible He said, after your lecture tonight, I met with a group of Russian intellectuals and we agreed that the only way forward for our society is to follow the principles of God's word. The principles that Jesus Christ outlined. The principles of love and forgiveness and kindness and compassion and mercy. When you read the Bible, it'll change your life. It'll change your family. It'll change society. John Quincy Adams put it this way, My custom is to read four or five chapters of the Bible every morning immediately after rising. It seems to me the most suitable manner of beginning the day. It is an incalculable and inexhaustible mine of knowledge and virtue. The founders of America understood the importance of basing their lives on the principles of the Bible and allowing Jesus Christ to transform their lives. The principles of God's Word will guide and shape our lives today as well. The second thing about God's Word is it's not only eternal enduring every generation, but God's Word is life changing. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23 it says, "...having been born again, not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever." Something takes place. It says, having been born again. What does that mean? Having new thoughts, being transformed from within. You see, the Bible is not a dead book. The Bible is not a book that simply is inspiring. The Bible is a book that's inspired. Other books may be inspiring, but the Bible is inspired. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises so in the bible we've been given promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust the bible gives us promises i am in need financially A person says, I'm in trouble. They read the Bible. My God shall supply all your need, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. We grasp the living reality that God promises to take care of us. I feel weak. I can't lose my weight. Can't give up cigarettes or tobacco. Can't get off alcohol. Can't get on the diet I want. I read the Bible. The Bible is powerful. It says, Philippians 4 verse 13, I can do all things through Christ that have strengthened me. I have shared that promise with thousands of people around the world. I've said, look away from what you cannot do to what Jesus Christ can do. Look away from your weakness to His strength. Look away from all the times you've failed to the fact that He will grant to you power that you cannot believe. Reading the Bible transforms your thought patterns. You see not what is, but you see what can be. You see not how you are now, but what you can be through the grace and power of Jesus Christ. I think of Han. Han was a Christian in Vietnam, but after the fall of Saigon, when the American armies were beaten back and they evacuated Vietnam, Han was taken to a re-education camp by the, by the Viet Cong communist soldiers. and In that re-education camp, he was subjected to hour after hour after hour every day of communist propaganda. And soon he came to this thought process. He said, I was a Christian, but Christianity is not for the mentally strong. Christianity is but a myth, it's fiction, it's worth nothing. And he threw out all of his Christian faith. In the re-education camp, he had to clean the latrines. One day, he came across a portion of the book of Romans, Romans the 8th chapter. One of the sergeants in the Viet Cong army had taken a Bible and was using it for toilet paper. Han found this crumpled up piece of Romans 8. And he sat there in that latrine reading, For all things work together for good to those that love God. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall persecution or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For neither height nor depth nor any other thing shall separate us from the love of God. As Hans sat in that latrine reading that, his tears streamed down his face and he said, God, I know that you see me in this despicable place, and I know you're there. Reading the word of God, his faith was rekindled. Reading the word of God, his hope was renewed. Reading the work of God, his courage flowed into him. I have seen God do that for thousands of people around the world. I think of a young man by the name of Ramon. He was an Indian thief. He lived in India and one day his gang broke into a home in India. And they robbed jewelry, robbed money out of that home. And he saw this book. He had never seen this book called the Bible before, but he saw it there. And it had gold-edged pages. And he said, that's good enough to roll my tobacco in. He stole a copy of the Bible. For about a month, he'd rip it out every night, a page of the Bible, roll his tobacco in it. Then one night, he started to read it. And he read about Jesus, who forgave the woman caught in adultery. He read about Jesus, who healed the man by the pool of Bethesda. He read about Jesus who calmed the storm, Jesus who broke the bread, Jesus who fed the 5,000. And this thief knelt and he said, Jesus, change my life. The Bible is eternal. It appeals to men and women of every generation. The Bible is life-changing. If you read God's Word, it will change your life. I was 17 years old. I had little purpose in my life. I was interested in parties and sports, but I began to read God's Word. And as I read the Bible, it transformed my life. It gave me a peace and a joy and a meaning and purpose that I did not know. As you fill your mind with God's Word and spend time reading God's Word, it will transform your life. But somebody says, how can I get started reading the Bible? It seems so complicated for me. The Bible is not complicated if you follow these simple principles. Here's how to get an experience reading the Bible. Number one, don't worry about the things you may not understand in the Bible. In other words, you're not going to understand a lot. Don't worry about that. Secondly, begin with the Psalms or the Gospel of John. Every night before I go to bed, I read the Psalms. I read some Psalm every night. Start with something simple. Read a few verses at a time. It's not a speed reading program. Read until there's something that you can apply to your life. Ask God to help you understand what you're reading and apply it. So let's suppose you're reading the Gospel of John, and you read about Jesus calming the storm. You simply say to yourself, Lord, I'm going through a storm. You calm that storm, calm my troubled heart. You read about Jesus breaking the bread and feeding the 5,000. You say, Lord, I have some needs too. You broke that bread. Lord, for me, satisfy the needs of my heart. You read about Jesus forgiving the woman in adultery, and you feel guilty, condemned because of something you did. You say, Jesus, I need that forgiveness. So as you read the Gospels and you read the story, simply put yourself in the story and say, Lord, the story is a case history of what you want to do in my life. God's Word is eternal. God's Word is life-changing, and God's Word is relevant to every generation. Whether you are young or whether you're old, God's Word speaks to you. And the the essence of God's word is hope. When you read God's word, you have hope for today, tomorrow, and forever. When you read God's word, you see a God that loves you, a God that cares for you. You see a God that created a perfect world in Genesis, and a God will create, who will create, a recreate a perfect world out of the mess of this world. Psalm one nineteen verse eighty nine says, "Let's read it together." Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations." Throughout generations, God is there. I love Hebrews 4 verse 12. The Word of God is living. God's Word is alive. You read it and the living Word changes your life. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit is a discern of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's Word is living. This is a living book. It changes your life. It's a powerful book. The word for powerful written in the Greek language is the word energis. What word do you think we get from that in English? What? Energy. So the Word of God is living and is filled with what? Energy. Do you want new energy in your life? spiritual energy, spiritual strength, new hope in your life, new courage in your life, fill your mind with the Word of God. Abraham Lincoln said, I'm busily engaged in the study of the Bible. I believe it's God's Word because it finds me where I am. It's the eternal Word. It is the living Word. It is the all-powerful Word. It speaks to us in every generation. He said, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good of the Savior of the world is communicated to us through that book. Abraham Lincoln said, if I did not have God's word, I could not have gotten through the trauma of the Civil War. One of my favorite pictures of Lincoln is him sitting at a tent on a Civil War battlefield with the Bible open, gaining strength before the battle. Woodrow Wilson said, when you've read the Bible, you know it's the Word of God because it's the key to your heart, your happiness in your own duty. The Bible gives us hope for today, tomorrow, and forever. Are you facing some major decision in your life? The Bible will give you hope. The Bible will give you wisdom. As you're facing that decision and you read God's Word, you will sense the Holy Spirit coming and guiding your mind, giving you direction. Do you need hope and courage? As you read God's Word, hope will leap off the pages. Has guilt stolen your joy and robbed your happiness? As you read God's Word, you'll sense forgiveness and the power to change. Is there something missing in your life? As you read God's Word, you'll find new purpose and meaning and direction in your life. William McPherson worked with dynamite a a few generations ago for the railroad. He helped to do a lot of blasting and one day Bill was there working with that dynamite and a stick of dynamite exploded, blew his hands almost totally off so he could no longer use them, left him crippled and maimed, scarred his face terribly blinded him so he could not see. And William McPherson lay there, discouraged, hopeless. He went through a long period of rehabilitation. Somebody introduced him to God's Word, and he said, I could never read it because I can't see. He learned Braille, but he couldn't use his fingers. So they put the Bible above his head, and he began reading the Bible with his tongue. He read page after page until his tongue bled. He read the Bible through four times with his tongue. Something began to happen to him. There was a new joy in his life. There was a new happiness in his life. There was a new meaning in his life. And when people came to see Bill to console him, they left filled with joy, filled with happiness. Why? Because he said to them, this life is not all there is. One day Jesus will come. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them forever in the air. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 21, There shall be no more sickness or suffering or death or pain. What was it that gave Bill such new hope? What was it that filled Bill's heart with courage? What was it that gave him such new joy? It was the reality that this life was not all that there is. He was physically maimed, but he was spiritually fit. With eyes of faith informed by Scripture, he looked to eternity. The Bible begins with a perfect world in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And the Bible ends with a perfect world. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. God created the world once, He will recreate it again, but He wants to recreate you and me right now. Bill was recreated and he looks forward to the new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. As you read the Bible, Christ recreates you and He prepares you to live in a recreated world where all of the past will be gone and there will be no cancer and there will be no heart disease and there will be no diabetes. There will be no more nursing homes and retirement centers. No more feeble hands and shaking knees. No more quivering tongue. You'll never have to stand by a child's bedside who has been just hit by a car and hold their hand as they breathe their last and die. You'll never have to go to a mother's hospital room and put your hand on her head as she breathes her last and labors heavily and dies of cancer. You'll never be called in that new world and told that your children has, your child has just been hit by a car. Need you ever be told that your wife is just at a heart attack. There's a great new world that's coming, a great new world that's coming. Sometimes in my mind, I look beyond what is to what can be, and sometimes as I open the book of Revelation, in my imagination, I see a holy city descending from heaven to earth. Sometimes in my imagination, I'm there again in the Garden of Eden, in this world made new. Sometimes in my imagination, in a land called holy, in a place called glory, in a time called eternity, I too walk down streets of gold and I bow at his feet and I cry out, holy, holy, holy. Listen as Charles and Jennifer sing. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.